Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Well, I'm really looking forward to our conversation with Amy Ziering. This is a wonderful documentary, and we're going to uh, let me first by, start by saying the, the statistics are staggering. One in five women in college are sexually assaulted, yet only a fraction of these crimes are reported, and even fewer result in punishment for the perpetrators. From the same team that brought us the Invisible War, and comes the Hunting Ground, a piercing monumental expose on the rape culture on campuses, poised to light a fire under a national debate it should be a national debate uh and there's so much here to talk about and the producer of this film is amy Ziering, uh directed by kirby dick who's responsible for so many wonderful documentaries uh, but this one is is just top notch we're we're uh, amy are you there I'm here. Oh, kind of butchered that intro, but it is. I just want to get right. I want to get right to it because uh, the film really is uh, illuminating on so many levels. Some of them not very uh, happy uh, uh, subjects, but certainly ones that need to be talked about. First of all, you had just done Invisible War uh, a few years ago. It came out about uh, sexual assault in the military. What what's the relationship, if any, between this between the Invisible War and the Hunting Ground in terms of moving forward with this project? Well, they're actually honestly directly related, and it's sort of interesting. Um, we were working on it. We finished Invisible War, which broke the story of the epidemic of rape in our military, and we were touring that around on campuses, like you do with any film release. And every time we showed it on campus, a student would come up and say, "Actually, there's so many similarities between what you're showing." happened in the military happened to me right here, you know, at Bowdoin, at Dartmouth. So, and it was really strange, and we were not expecting that at all. Um, and then we started getting letters from students around the country saying, I watched Invisible War, you know, and they would tell us their story. Would you please make a film on what's going on on campuses? So it was really that. It was directly from people watching our former film and making an appeal to us that we were compelled, felt compelled to make this film, because it wasn't something that was actually on our radar, radar before that. Okay. What was it, uh, not only that reaction, but uh, in the film, uh, there are a couple of uh, very brave and very um, inventive, enthousia- uh, inventive, what's the other word I'm looking for, committed uh, advocates for, for sexual, uh, for people who have been victimized for, by sexual assault, Andrea Pina and Ann Clark. At what point in the sort of process did you, uh, did you connect with them? Well, Andrea and Annie are activists. You know, we were we, we go very broad with our film, so we started filming. Once we decided we were in and started doing investigating, you know, we went very wide. So we were talking to activists around the country. We were filming demonstrations around the country. And, um, you know, there's, what, 5,000 campuses? So, <laughs> yeah. uh, and it was funny. It's, again, linked to Invisible War. Someone at UNC, the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, went and saw a Q&A that Kirby did for Invisible War and went running back to her resident advisor, who was, Aunt, who was Andrea, who was living in a dorm at UNC at the time, and said, oh, my God, Andrea, um, you know, the, the stuff that you've been doing activism around on this campus, well, there's this film you really should see, and you should talk to these filmmakers. So Andrea got in touch with us and said, hey, I just, you know, since you're interested in this issue, I want to show you what we've been doing at UNC. And so we started sort of communicating with her. So, again, 
What's interesting or encouraging about that, just for anyone who's listening who's a filmmaker, is these things, you know, it's, it's really, it, it just shows the impact of film and how important it is to, to, to sort of be doing these things on social issues, because it, it spawns all sorts of, you know, other people feeling free to come forward about, you know, injustices that have happened to them. So it's pretty encouraging. Yeah. So that's Amy, how that happened. Yeah, Amy, I want to back up, because I think I sort of uh, buried the lead a little bit in terms of just the the, the scale of, of sexual assaults on, on college campuses. Uh, let's go back and run through some of the statistics. Sure. One in five women are report sexual assault. Go ahead, run them through for, for me because I, I I have a feeling I'm going to botch it up. No, no, that's okay. It, it, it is one, and there's been about there's been several studies which have confirmed over the past decades a, a pretty much a one in five number for sexual assault and. Um, even though you'll hear white noise campaigns trying to um, make the statistics seem complicated or obfuscating, or um, that they acu- they uh, include groping and and you know uh, they don't actually um, the majority of uh, assaults that these statistics are pointing to are actual are rape are actual rape or attempted penetration. Um, so because you I know you said you wanted to talk a little bit about um, the backlash. So that's right. one of the things right. we're seeing around the statistics. So just that's but anyway, so it's it's one in five, and there was a recent study from the Department of Justice that actually had the statistic at one in four. Um, so these numbers are real; they're high, and you know they're not going away. So um, just so if you ever hear people trying to dispute them, what, what we're saying is that the campaigns against this kind of against this issue are similar to what we've seen around climate change, where people were trying to say, oh, you know, the studies, there's studies that dispute this, and, and that's just not true. Um, the, the studies pretty much univocally, um, except for one outlier study, which has been widely discredited, um, confirm that, you know, this is happening, it's happening at these rates, and it's a super serious problem that we need to pay attention to. And this kind of leads into what I, we talked about off air, and that is sort of the, the, the merchants of doubt have come into this equation in terms of, as you said, obfuscating what these statistics are, trying to really throw mud in the eyes of the people who are looking at this. Uh, these universities, goes without saying, just as one example, Harvard, I believe they have a uh, kind of a contributor uh, what a foundation that has six or seven billion dollars in it. Uh, these universities are immensely uh, cash rich. Uh, some of the higher higher profile uh, universities, they are all backed by very powerful alumni. So, were you were you surprised? Were you anticipating the sort of pushback that you've gotten from uh, from the film? We were very actually, I, I, we were surprised, and I wasn't expecting the pushback. And that's primarily because with Invisible War, we didn't get a lot of pushback. I mean, the Pentagon was aghast. And, um, you know, we were using their own studies to, to show them this was a problem. I mean, now they, they, then they started, and, and, and they were, instead of receiving the films as an attack, they thought it was a critique. And they sort of said, okay, we're going to try and double down and do better. I mean, it was it was a very different response. Um, you know, it's not like they embraced the film, but they certainly didn't um, have, have a, you know, a more concentrated pushback. What we've seen with this, though, and I think it's because these institutions um, have these kind of resources, um, are much more concerned about protecting their reputation because that is tied to their ability to fundraise. Um, they, it's not all of them, but some of them, you know, have responded to the film in a way that 
that's been very surprising and disappointing. And particularly, as you point out, because they have these resources, you would think if you have $7 billion and you have this huge problem, put some of those resources towards solving the problem. Like right. that's not, it, it's not insoluble. You know, we, there are answers, there are solutions, there are best practices. Like, just move and do that instead of make this ridiculous, you know, try and pretend there's not a problem. And that's, that's what's crazy making and, and sad and strange, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Amy Ziering. She is the producer of the film The Hunting Ground, uh, collaborated with Kirby Dick on a number of films, including The Invisible War and, and others. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I mean, let's get into sort of the institutional reasons for this resistance. I First, I think we've established that it's an issue, that is something that has gone on for, God knows, I mean, it's been going on for a long time, and now because of many people standing up and saying this is unacceptable it needs to change uh and there's a more concerted effort thank god for the internet and all the all the different ways that people are connecting over this issue um but we sort of touched on the institutional reasons i mean and they 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 are directly related to why there are not more prosecutions or not even reporting them Talk a little bit about that sort of institutional resistance to even reporting and doing anything about these uh, reports of sexual assault and rape. Well, it's hard to talk in a nutshell, but and it's pretty complicated. Yeah. But, you know, one thing that we've touched on is, A, institutions would rather a problem go away than solve it of this nature, especially if it can reflect badly on their reputation, right? So, yeah. if it's A, B, institutions are susceptible to the same cultural myths that our society is, right? And this issue in our society is one that, we have had a, a history of having rape myths about which lead to our denial. So, so that means that, what, what does that mean? That means like we think of this crime as different from others. We think of this crime as he said, she said, murky, you can't really tell what's going on. Um, there's a ton of victim blaming. And again, study after study shows it's just not true. 92 to 98% of the time when someone reports a rape, they're telling the truth. And that is statistically consistent with any other crime in our society. And yet you don't hear people say, um, well, are you sure he took your TV? You know, what were you wearing when you think when you tell me you he took your TV? Right. Um, were you both drinking when the TV disappeared from the apartment? <laughs> you know, and and yet, right? We're laughing, but those are the normal questions. Yeah. This yeah. Crime, which is identical to any other crime. So again, institutions using those rape myths as cover can make this thing go away. They victim blame, they, you know, they encourage the student that maybe they're misremembering. I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking broad strokes and generalizations, yeah. but we saw this time and again with the way that students were responded to. They responded to with skepticism and disbelief, right, fed by these rape myths, which made it much easier for the issue to disappear and for the, for, for the, for the campus to have this unblemished reputation, right? You know, nothing goes on here. It's a, it's a peaceful place. And, you know, she, it was just a mix-up or a confusion or she's not, you know, she's you know, I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, and as you said, what was interesting to me when you said, you know, we had all these chorus of voices coming through. I mean, it's very re- resonant and um, with the Bill Cosby case, right? Because it was like these lone voices in the wilderness, and now it was just this accretion, you know, and finally, and the internet and social media, and finally there was sort of enough critical mass. You know, it took 47 women for someone to think that, well, maybe, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe this happened, you know? So it's interesting. You're seeing that kind of sort of critical math happening around this issue on campuses as well. Uh, you know, I see so much of these issues related to sexual assault and these kinds, these sorts of things, these issues that come up. It's about power. 
I mean, it really is a sort of dynamic that somehow, some way, women saying something is, uh, you know, they like you said, oh, you, are you remembering this correctly? Somehow there's always an inference of, you know, are you, like, they to question the very kind of sanity or the intelligence in some ways. Of, I don't right. know. There's always this kind of odd undercurrent. And I mean, and anyway, I, I'm going to go back no, to the... It's, it's- True. And, and you know, and I will say, because I've been on the front lines of this and I've been interviewing rape survivors, you know when you're raped. It's not these confusing situations. We all have had situations where maybe we've had sex and it wasn't exactly how we wanted it or thought about it. Yeah. It's very categorically different. And I think that also is why everybody thinks they're an expert in this. They're like, well, you know, maybe, maybe blah, blah, blah. And it, those are not the case. That's not... that. Rape, when people report, it's a rape. It's an egregious crime. Like, to, to actually go forward and report, you'd have to be crazy if it didn't really happen because what happens to you is so horrible that there's no glory in it. You know, there's no right. There's well, no social rewards. So I, I, I just wish we could transform that in our culture. It's not something people casually accuse people of. Right. Well, this, this is the difference in my, in my opinion, and that is there's a difference between sex and an assault and that's right. this is an act of violence that is 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 conveyed in a sexual context if that's even is that sound right <laughs> right yeah yes and so that's all this is so and exactly. so all of this stuff that happens i i couldn't agree more that it is about this and one of the things about the hunting ground by the way people can find out more about the hunting ground by going the thehuntinggroundfilm.com and find out more and there's a slew of information for people who are interested in finding out more connecting with others who are involved in this issue you should check that out but the it's it's so much of the oh i just lost my train of thought i'm so sorry um that's okay um oh oh the other the other powerful interest we just talked about the universities and that's sort of well yeah of course the universities uh in the film somebody i don't remember the expert who said if you got a letter if the parents of the student got a letter saying you know congratulations on your acceptance to the university of Cali- uh, california irvine mm-hmm. and by the way your daughter runs a chance of one in four or one in five of being sexually assaulted and you know we can't wait to see you in fall it would it would obviously change the perception and the reality for people who were considering sending their children off to this particular institution and they don't want to do that obviously right. they wouldn't want to do that but the other thing in your film that i find really compelling is the idea of how powerful fraternities are and how powerful athlete we all know how powerful athletic departments are but those the combination of those three major industry um, industries in a way really makes you it gives you the context to understand how and why this isn't a bigger issue is that yeah? Is that fair? Yeah, no. They're they're power. Yeah, sports and fraternities are powerful institutions. But the the bad news about fraternities is there are higher rates of assault on, on at fraternities. Even you know, even though it happens on campuses across the board, there's even higher rates in sports culture and and fraternity culture on campuses. And obviously, that's because you know campuses have you know they uh, fraternities have environments that could be more misogynistic and more. Um, hyper masculine in a way that objectify women and sort of, you know, buy into rape myths um, and uh, and also sort of the, the desire not to sort of, um, what's the word, um, to support your brother no matter right. what he's doing, you know, would actually also lead to sort of 
toxic environment for this kind of for these kind of crimes to occur, toxic for the victims. So, um, but the good news is, is that you know they are they are these environments also where leadership is really important. Right. And if and we've seen just like in the military that if the leadership of fraternities says this is not going to be tolerated, this is not how we operate, that it really does shift dramatically. And you know we are heartened that some um, fraternities have shown the film. Um, I'm working with USC with some fraternities now to to do a, a major screening. Um, you know, so there's and some interfraternity councils I think are are talking about doing screenings in the film, and and so there is some proactive desire on the part of some fraternities to really take this on, and which is so amazing and wonderful, and you know, I'm very grateful too because you know they can change if they want to. It doesn't this doesn't have to be going on. Well, that that's great. I, let's talk about this in a positive context because I think we've established. That it's a it is a real issue that, that that these are things that are happening and I think on a scale that if you weren't aware watching the hunting ground it becomes crystal clear that at the very very least it's vastly underreported and under prosecuted and it is a real yeah. big issue uh, and the reason I bring in the fraternities and athletics is because this sort of the, this tri- triad of 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 institutions. Are very powerful, and I think with fraternities particularly, in that this sort of the alumni of these of these fraternities is a very powerful kind of under the radar uh, sort of network of people in our in our society that tend above and above and beyond even their loyalty to a university tend to bond and circle the wagons when something comes up that is negative about them. And go ahead. What well, a surprising thing I learned about fraternities and making the film was I think it was like, okay, now these statistics, here's a statistic warning. I'm not sure. They're not going to be exactly accurate. So I'm gonna, how I'm going to say it. It used to be that in our Congress, um, it was like a tiny percentage of our representatives were in the in fraternities, but uh, over 50% were in the military. Um, and now today, it's completely the opposite. It's like, it's like what is it, 2% of people who are in our, who are in our yeah, legislatures? In Congress and Senate have actually served in the military, and it, I think it's well over 60% have been part, part of some kind of fraternal organization, which is pretty amazing. So, Well, and that does reflect a change in the composition of the military itself, uh, the stratification within our society of of it just it, it's, it sounds right because that is the way that we've been moving away from just exactly what you said the, the people who served in the military used to be uh, of a social uh, they had the means to be able to get into politics and to be leadership and and that just isn't the case any longer people who fight our wars are at the margins of society by and large and not able to affect a lot of power out independent of the their time in the military um, this is a wonderful document. You and Kirby have worked on so many just terrific documentaries, and uh, you—it's just a—it's so good to see that you're out there and that you're doing this. Um, let's talk a little bit about educating the people and where they can go. Andrea and Annie are are doing a lot of wonderful things. Are there are there anything that you want to sort of talk about in terms of? Uh, places or information that people can find out more about uh, about what's well, going on. Well, honestly, 
really, I would love for people to see the film. I mean, I think that's kind of step one because it truly provides information about this issue, which is not available anywhere else. And every student should see it. Every high school student going into college should see it. Every student in college should see it and every parent should see it. If you've got kids, you know, in high school or college, because you're just not getting this information elsewhere. You don't really understand this issue and knowledge is power. So that would be the first thing. And then if you want more information and to get involved on this issue, yes, go to our website, um, there's also an activist website called CX Stop, which gives you ideas, you know, which presents different ways you can get involved with the issue. Annie and Andrea, the two activists in our film who are profiled, started an organization, a nonprofit called EROC. They're doing amazing work trying to get legislature passed, you know, on the ground helping survivors. They're now based in D.C. That's End Rape on Campus, E-R-O-C. So you can get involved in that way. Um, so those are, you know, that's the good news. Um, uh, but the, the biggest thing I guess I would love to just say is that the most important thing all of us can do is sort of really reframe our understanding of this crime. If each of us do this, like, it, there would be so many exponentially good dividends, you know, in terms of um, survivors feeling better supported, you know, um, criminals who commit these crimes being more likely to actually be um, properly adjudicated on campuses and properly prosecuted in our criminal justice system. Um, and, you know, and, you know, the secondary PTSD that loved ones suffer from being with someone who's, you know, been traumatized by this violent act will be reduced. We'll just see this remarkable ripple effect. So just, so square one is with all of us to understand this. You know, I love what you said, like, it's a crime like no other. And actually, the quote that you said from the film, it was an administrator said, if someone said that there's a one in five chance that your child will be killed by a drive-by shooting while on our campus, do you think anyone would go to school? And she said, and yet... Um, you know, people don't blink when you say there's a one in five chance your, your child's going to be raped when they're out on campus. And that's because, as you said, people don't treat this crime as seriously, you know, and don't understand it and don't understand its impact and think it's just sloppy sex. Or So if we all can just shift, then that would be huge. And I think we can. I think we're getting there. I mean, you know, um, but, you know, there is this critical mass and this is, you, you know, we're, we're doing all this. There's a lot of press and interest in this topic and, and hopefully... You know, in the next 10 years, we'll see a real shift. Well, after Invisible War, there were congressional hearings. Have we seen anything equivalent to that um, in regards to, to your film? That's a great question. There's a bill called CASA that uh, let Gillibrand, and it's a bipartisan coalition of senators, are, are we're actively trying to pass it, got, of course, stalled. So um, there's that. Um, and there's state legislators are, are you know, uh, Cuomo screened the film for legislators and got a, a really great bill passed in New York. Um, there's been some recent passages of really good bills in California. So, yes, so state by state, but also on the federal level, there's we're, we're, we would love to pass something called CASA. You can look it up. And 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 we're, and we're hoping the hunting ground can help you know push that forward as well. Well, great. Go to thehuntinggroundfilm.com. Find out all this stuff. Amy Ziering, uh, producer of this film and so many others, the hunting ground, and as well as other work. Uh, uh, terrific. Thank you so much for being here on Film School today. Really appreciate you being here. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. All right. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.